quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Two weeks notice. Democrats test a new closing midterm message. Look what they're offering. It's mega, mega trickle down. But as voters' economic concerns grow, will they blame Democrats on Election Day? I'll speak exclusively to someone with urgent advice for Democrats, Independent Senator Bernie Sanders. Next. And GOP agenda. With Republicans growing more hopeful about a red wave, they're laying out plans for their potential new majority. What would a Republican takeover look like? GOP Congresswoman Nancy Mace joins me exclusively ahead. Plus, he got served. President Trump is subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. Let's see if he lives up to what the law requires of him. Capping off a week of legal blows to the former president and his allies. Will Donald Trump comply? And what happens if he doesn't? Hello, I'm Jake Dapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is biting our nails watching the races tighten. We are 16 days out from the midterm elections here in the United States, and the fight for control of Congress will center on just a few key races. As early voters have already started to cast their ballots, Democrats might be wondering where their summer optimism went as poll after poll after poll shows swing voters shifting towards Republicans. With inflation making your lives more expensive amidst fears of a recession, Republicans are doing everything they can to make sure the economy and rising crime statistics in some places are what you think about as you decide who to put in power in Washington. It's a message Democrats are struggling to counter on inflation and the economy. This week, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi says her party needs to, quote, message it better. My next guest has been sounding this alarm for months, warning Democrats that avoiding talking about the struggling economy would guarantee defeat in November. In the closing days of the campaign, he plans to cross off a battleground checklist, Oregon, Nevada, Wisconsin, Florida, Pennsylvania, presenting his own views on exactly how Democrats should be talking to voters about the economy. And joining me now is Independent Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont, who, of course, caucuses with the Democrats in the Senate. Senator, thanks so much for joining us. So you've been calling on Democrats to focus on the economy, not only on other issues like abortion rights or or attacking Republicans. It has been months since you've been repeating this message. The election is 16 days away. How's it going? Are you worried Democrats still have not found the right message on the economy? Well, look, what I think, Jake, is at a time when working families are struggling, having a hard time filling up their gas tanks, uh, paying for food, paying for prescription drugs. We are living in a nation today where the richest people are doing phenomenally well. And one of the reasons for inflation is the incredible level of corporate greed. Check out the profits of the oil companies, the drug companies, the food companies. Their sky high profits are ripping off the American people. And there are studies out there that estimate that 50 percent of inflation has to do with corporate greed. So I think what the Democrats have got to say is we are going to stand with working people. We're prepared to take on the drug companies. We're prepared to take on the insurance companies and create an economy that works for all of us. 
Is the abortion issue important? Yes. But we have also got to focus on the struggles of working people to put food on their table. Early voting has started in key states such as Georgia, North Carolina, Nevada. What are you seeing and hearing about energy among Democratic voters right now out there? Well, I am worried about the level of uh, voter turnout among young people and working people who will be voting Democratic. And I think, again, what Democrats have got to do is contrast their economic plan with the Republicans. What are the Republicans talking about? They want to cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid at a time when millions of seniors are struggling to pay their bills. Do you think that's what we should be doing? Democrats should take that to them. Democrats want to have Medicare negotiate prescription drug prices. We pay 10 times more for the same drugs that are sold in Canada. Republicans refuse to do that. So I think what we have got to do is contrast what a strong pro-worker Democratic position is with the corporate agenda of the Republicans. But uh, uh, to play devil's advocate here, if I'm a a swing voter out there, a young voter, a a working class voter, and I hear your message, I think, but you guys control everything. Democrats control the House and the Senate and the White House. And inflation is really high and I'm having a tough time making ends meet. Why should I vote for you again? Well, we have half the votes, exactly half the votes of the Senate and a tiny majority uh, in the House. And I think it's important that when we talk about inflation, Republicans will say, well, this is Joe Biden's fault. Really? Our inflation rate is much too high. It is 8 percent. It is 10 percent in the U.K., 10 percent throughout Europe, 7 percent in Canada. Inflation is a global problem caused, A, by the breaking of supply chains because of the pandemic, by the war in Ukraine. And as I said, significant part of inflation has to do with corporate greed. What are the Republicans' response to inflation? What do they want to do? Well, maybe they want to cut wages for workers. Do they want to raise the minimum wage? No, they don't. So I think it's important to take the attack to the Republicans. What do they want to do other than complain? But bottom line is you cannot cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, which is what they want to do. We have got a lower prescription drug cost, which is not what they want to do. A lot of fears out there that a recession is coming. And President Biden even told me at the White House last week that he thinks a slight recession is possible. Take a listen. Should the American people prepare for a recession? No, I don't think there will be a recession. If it is, it'll be a very slight recession. That is, we'll move down slightly. Do you think the U.S. is headed for a recession? And is there anything that can be done to stop it? Well, I think what we certainly don't want to see is uh, a Fed raising interest rates right now, which will result in more unemployment and lower wages. Here is the reality. You know, you ask, Jake, why people are upset, why young people are upset, working class people upset. And the answer is pretty simple. For the last 50 years in this country, real wages uh, have not gone up. That's a reason to be upset. Meanwhile, you got three people on top who own more wealth than the bottom half of American society. So what working people all over this country are saying, you know what? We are sick and tired of seeing all of the wealth, all of the income going to the people on top. Help us out. Why are we the only country? on earth not to guarantee health care to all people? Why do we pay the highest prices for prescription drugs? Why do we have a minimum wage today? Republicans don't want to raise it. $7.25 an hour, that is a starvation wage. Why do kids leave mm-hmm. school deeply in debt? 
Right. So we need an aggressive government that says we're on your side, not on the side of the billionaires. But do you think a recession is coming? Hard to say. I, I think if we do the right things, we can protect the working class of this country. Some Democrats are calling to abolish the debt ceiling altogether uh, after House Republican leader Kevin McCarthy, poised to become the next speaker, threatened to use it as leverage for further spending cuts if Republicans win back the House. Take a listen to, to President Biden and Treasury Secretary Yellen, who have different views on how to move forward on the debt ceiling. I think it's become increasingly damaging to America to have a debt ceiling. Do you support the permanent repeal of the debt ceiling, sir? You mean just say we don't have a debt limit? No debt limit. No. I'd be responsible. You are the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee. Do you side with President Biden or is Secretary Yellen right? It's time to get rid of the debt ceiling. Look, what I side with, you're going to have to increase the debt ceiling. But what Republicans are basically doing, and I hope everybody understands this, they're saying, look, we are prepared to let the United States default on its debt, not raise the debt ceiling, unless, you know, you talk about, you know, making cuts. You know what they're talking about? Cuts in Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Is that irresponsible? It is absolutely irresponsible. You don't use the debt ceiling to do that. So you side with President Biden on this. You, you, you raise the debt ceiling, but you keep, yeah. you keep it. Yes. Okay. President Biden said on Friday he believes crime is a real issue in the 2022 campaign. Overall, violent crime is up in some major cities in 2022, such as New York, Seattle, Los Angeles. One recent poll puts higher crime rates second, only below inflation, on the list of top issues concerning voters. Are you worried that Democrats are missing a major undercurrent here? How should Democrats be talking about crime? Crime is a real issue. Violence is a real issue. And I'll tell you something. I go all over the state of Vermont. This drug problem and the addiction to drugs and the violence the drug causes is a huge problem all over this country. So we have got to focus in a smart way, not in a way that that foments fear. But how do you deal with the growing addiction? How do you deal with the opioid crisis? And that means making investment in our young people in good education, in good uh, in good job training and making sure that we have good law enforcement doing the right job all over this country. So a more holistic approach, but do you think that would be resonant with voters who, a lot of whom are just scared about going into cities or, or, or anywhere? They're afraid to leave their homes in some well, cases. Well, what we need to do is have a, it's a problem, and we need to have a sensible problem that actually works. And that's what we've got to work on. All right, Senator Bernie Sanders, always good to hear you. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. What are Republicans' plans if they retake the House of Representatives? We got a better idea this week. We're going to talk to Congresswoman Nancy Mace about the Republican agenda. That's next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Voters give their midterm verdict in 16 days, and many are now saying that their top concerns are the state of the economy and crime, both issues that look like they might help Republican candidates on Election Day. This week, we got an important glimpse at the House Republicans' agenda if they ride a red wave back into power. And joining me now to talk about the GOP agenda is GOP Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina. Congresswoman, thanks so much for for joining us. So the Washington Post uh, has a new editorial this weekend. Uh, It's interesting. It has some criticism for President Biden on the economy. They also propose a few steps he could take to help reduce 
inflation. One of them is lifting some of the Trump tariffs against China. Would you support doing that to to help lower prices for the American people? Well, I I actually proposed a bill when we had the baby formula shortage that would lift tariffs um, all over the world on baby formula imports, no matter where they they were coming from. I think that tariffs can be utilized when we're negotiating different deals or trade deals with other countries. But at the end of the day, it is an increased cost on the consumer. And that's one example where I worked actively um, to try to bring prices down and bring greater inventory when that issue happened. And that is a place where you can see some benefit. So what about lifting them more broadly? Are there are a lot of Trump tariffs, and I've, I've seen estimates uh, saying that it adds about 500 to to $1,000 per family uh, in this country. That's just one estimate, but it would help uh, alleviate some of the inflation. Would you, would you lift all of them? Yes, I, I do agree with that. Lifting tariffs makes the cost of goods cheaper for every American. But one of the other things that we have to look at, and it cannot be ignored, is government spending. Now, for decades, both Republicans and Democrats alike um, have, have had issues with increasing the deficit and deficit spending. We've got to look at our government spending. We need to look at, more broadly, the supply chain and incentivizing companies perhaps to get out of China and come back to North America, the United States, Central and South America, a little bit closer here. So the, sh- the price of shipping goods and manufacturing goods Uh, If we can get those prices down and make the supply chain more efficient, that's one way. Another thing that we have to address are taxes in this country. The infrastructure bill last year, there were 42 new taxes. Um, And so all these things contribute to the rise in inflation. And of course, Congress can't control the Fed. But when you print trillions and trillions of dollars every single year, again, that's just another factor into uh, issues that increase Mm -hmm. inflation. Republican leader Kevin McCarthy suggested that if uh, your party wins back the House, uh, he would refuse to lift the debt limit unless Democrats in the White House agree to spending cuts. Are you on board with that plan? Are you willing to risk the U.S. defaulting on its debt as leverage uh, to impose these spending cuts? I support that strategy because, look, at the end of the day, when COVID-19 happened, you had the federal government and state governments to literally shut companies down. Businesses had to make tough decisions about how they were going to keep their doors open. And the federal government uh, just kept getting record revenue year over year and hasn't had to make those tough decisions. And I can tell you, I sit on the oversight committee where we look at waste, fraud and abuse in the federal agency level. And there is waste in every single agency. I was happy to see there were 44 people uh, charged with a crime of defrauding the government over $250 million over PPP funds. But that is everywhere. It is broad. It's in every agency. We can find ways to uh, be more responsible with our spending, just like we forced companies and businesses to during COVID. So that's one of the ways that I would approach it. But isn't isn't the way to do that through legislating, through meeting with leaders of the Senate, whoever's in charge of that party, meeting with people in the White House and coming up with a way to reduce spending or at least to reduce the rate that spending is going up instead of uh, potentially defaulting, uh, which, you know, we've seen it happen. It it wreaks havoc on the economy and hurts hurts working people, uh, among others. Well, we've seen Republicans for for a year and a half now talk about more responsible spending, looking at the deficit spending and these bills that have been passed, uh, talking about how we can move this country forward. And we've been shut out. I know when we did the infrastructure bill on the House side anyway last year, every Republican was shut out of, of being part of that discussion, not a single amendment. And I had a couple of nonpartisan amendments, for example, 
Um, you know, so Republicans have tried to work with reach across the aisle and have been shut out of many of those conversations. And so I think that is an, a, a way to negotiate uh, moving forward. But we have to get serious about it. And I, I filed a bill early, earlier this year that would balance the budget in about five years, looking at uh, making spending cuts about five cents for every future dollar the federal government spent. If we made those cuts across every agency, you could balance the budget in five years. That's responsible. It's reasonable. And it gives the federal government yeah. a time frame, five years, to be able to do that. And that seems very normal. If we could do that, then we wouldn't need to, uh, you know, threaten, you know, use the threat of the debt ceiling as a negotiating tool. Right. Well, you're in the minority now. I'm talking about if you're in the, in the majority, you're going to have a little bit mm -hmm. more clout. But let's move on because Republican leader Kevin McCarthy also seemed to cast doubt on whether a Republican-controlled House would continue uh, to help Ukraine push back against its Russian invasion. Uh, he told Punchbowl News this week, quote, I think people are going to be sitting in a recession and they're not going to write a blank check to Ukraine. They just won't do it. Ukraine's important, but at the same time, it can't be the only thing they do and it can't be a blank check. So I know you traveled to Ukraine during the war. You promised to support mm -hmm. their efforts to beat back the Russian invasion as long as Ukrainians are willing to fight. Are you worried about what Kevin McCarthy said about Ukraine aid? And I, look, I supported Ukraine aid uh, early on when it happened. I did travel to the border, but Bloomberg last week, and this is an issue we have to reconcile, but Bloomberg said last week that we are going to be, we're going to have a recession. It's 100% guaranteed. We saw Jamie Dimon warn on a recession in the next six to nine months. And if we keep, uh, keep writing these blank checks to other countries, if we increase the deficit spending or government spending any more than we already have, we're going, we are going to exacerbate the situation. But make no mistake, Ukraine is very important, not only to the United States economy, but to countries all around the world. And so there's going to have to be some sort of balance. You look at the rare earth minerals in Ukraine from neon and palladium to uh, the food security issues that may be on the horizon with wheat and barley in particular, the lumber and timber that they produce or the nuclear assets that Russia is after. It is something that we're going to have to find balance on next but year. Don't you think a comment like the one Kevin McCarthy said, made, uh, don't you think Vladimir Putin just hears that? He says, well, this guy's probably going to be the next speaker. I just have to stick it out until Republicans take over the House. So I'm just going to keep fighting, fighting, fighting. Uh, Republicans are going to uh, end uh, U.S. support or lessen U.S. support for Ukraine. And, you know, don't you think it sends a signal like that or at least risk sending that signal? Well, I, I do think Vladimir Putin uh, is, has lost his marbles. I think that uh, he is willing to raise the stakes in any way, shape, or form to cause destruction, not only for Ukraine, but other countries. He's now building alliances with China and Iran. Um, that is not good for the United States of America either. And we have to project strength on the world stage. I can tell you when I was overseas, both in Ukraine and the Indo-Pacific region last year, that when we have the kind of division we have in our country today, and that is politically especially, uh, we look weak on the world stage. And I think one of the reasons that Vladimir Putin feels emboldened isn't because of what Republicans are saying they may or may not do, is because of months, a year and a half, two years now, more than that even, but the divisions that we have and, and unwilling to work together on some of these issues and just the fighting, it makes us look weak on the world stage. And that is something that I am urging both sides to work on, um, no matter who's in the majority after November. And I, I do believe Republicans will be in the majority, and we're looking at a potential 53-seat majority in the Senate now. You've said that there's pressure on Republicans to vote to impeach President Biden or to vote to impeach top Biden cabinet officials. Uh, Congresswoman Elise Stefanik suggested impeachment was on the table in a New York Post interview this week. Do you think President Biden has committed any impeachable offenses? 
That is something that you know would have to be investigated. I am not uh, interested in playing tit for tat. I am not interested in retaliation. Impeachment has been weaponized over the years, and we've seen that. Um, I really want us to be focused on the economy, on tackling inflation with responsible policy. We also need to look at crime and immigration. We've had 4.2 million illegal immigrants cross the border illegally at the southern border since Biden was sworn into office. We've got fentanyl. Uh, racing across the, every street in America. And in fact, there was enough fentanyl discovered in South Carolina two weeks ago to kill one million people. Mm. Um, and so we've got to get very serious about those issues. And that's where I believe our focus should be when Republicans are in the majority. All right, Congresswoman Nancy Mace of South Carolina, thanks so much for spending time today with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. The Senate balance of power could come down to just a few states. Might Democrats lose all of them? We'll ask our panel about that and the races they are watching. That's next. It's been back and forth with them ahead, us ahead, them ahead, back and forth. And the polls have been all over the place. I think uh, that we're going to see one more shift back to our side in the closing days. I guess we'll see. Welcome back to State of the Union. Some midterm optimism there from President Biden. Our panel is with us uh, to discuss. Uh, and let's take a look at the polls uh, the president's talking about there, because these are these are the generic battle ballot polls. Three recent ones show Republicans pulling ahead uh, of Democrats on the generic ballot. There's the Monmouth poll that has Republicans up 50 to 44. CBS YouGov, Republicans up 47 to 45. New York Times Siena has Republicans up 49 to 45. And we know, Karen Finney, yes. that these polls historically undercount Republicans. Generally, Democrats only feel comfortable going into Election Day if they're up six to eight points on the generic. Mm-hmm. And here you are down three to five on the generic. Can't be feeling good. I am feeling good. You are? Oh, I am feeling good. On. Yes, I am. For I like the positivity. Re- for many reasons. I'll tell you what these polls don't show, right? What we know is that it's not just about who you're going to vote for. It's are you going to vote and what are the issues that are motivating you. Sure. And a lot of these polls focus on one or two issues, but they don't tell us the intensity with which people feel about candidates and issues. And what I'm seeing in the polls that I'm looking at is heavy intensity around, yes, economic concerns, but also for a lot of women, reproductive freedom, for a lot of black voters protecting voting rights, fears about increase in racism in this country. Those are the kinds of issues that will motivate and mobilize people to the polls that don't show up in these generic types of polling. What, what about you, David? I know you plugged yeah. in with a lot of uh, Republicans all over the country. Yeah, listen, I, 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 that's what Karen has to say. I love Karen, right? If I was in her spot, that's what I'd say, too, right? You kind of put the best spin on it, just like the president's like, we're doing great. We're going to come back. Put your Victrola on and a record and sit back. Um, look, the fact of the matter is the economy's terrible. The president's numbers are in the tank. Um, gas prices, you know, are still very high. These pocketbook issues that people vote around that they talk about at their kitchen tables, the crime, you, you hear this everywhere you go, whether it's Arizona, Oregon, Washington State, or Philadelphia, crime is very, very high on these lists. So, yeah. so it, it, and, and, and people, you know, they're going to vote on those things. That's what they're going to vote on. And Republicans tend to do very well on those issues. So um, a few weeks ago, a lot of Democrats were feeling good. Uh, they, they could break the midterms curse. Uh, then the economy, the economy is a mixed bag. We should acknowledge that inflation is high, but joblessness is, is low uh, and wages are actually up. 
But still, the inflation numbers are brutal. Um, one Democratic strategist told Politico, I think we peaked a little early. What do you think? I think that we're going to see across states that folks aren't going to vote by party line. You might have a governor win on a Republican and then the Democratic senator win. And so I actually feel like coming out of COVID, we need to campaign in a different way. And it's who can meet the moment around how young voters are receiving information, around how seniors are receiving information, and around how swing voters are receiving information. I also think it's not just the economy or Roe. It's a, Roe is an economic issue. And so people are going to be, you want to look at people with more complexity, and this should be an opportunity to really learn how voters are engaging with our democracy. I also think we're going to see skyrocket turnout. And it's exciting for someone who works in politics that people care about how they're living their everyday lives. So I don't think it's going to be, I think we're going to split 50-50 better than we thought probably a year ago, maybe not as great as we thought three weeks ago. What do you think, Liz? What are you hearing? (laughs) I mean, well, it is the economy, stupid. That's frankly what it comes down to. 70% say that it's the economy. Crime is slightly behind. But I think Democrats fell into a classic midterms trap of a lot of their messaging is against Republicans. It's, well, you've got, you can't vote for Republicans because of X, Y, and Z. And then it's touting backward-looking things like, well, we did chips. We did the, you know, uh, infrastructure. infrastructure. But that doesn't change the fact that the average American family lost $6,000 in buying power last year in this economy. It is traditionally a referendum on the party in power, which means it favors Republicans. Frankly, even in a cycle where I'd admit we do not have the strongest candidates, but when you're heading into a recession, when you're seeing the economy where it is, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come down yeah. in our favor. Can, can I just add to this, though? I mean, literally what I would like to see every Democrat point out over the next couple of weeks is that whereas Joe Biden and Democrats are trying to put money into your pocket, let's just take student debt. You literally have Republican governors trying to take that money back out of your pocket. You also have... And these are people that, where does that money on. come from? It comes from somebody else's pocket. You, ha- you also have Republicans saying, talking about things like, we just were talking about this, cuts to Medicare. They're, they've already said they're going to overturn the Inflation Reduction Act, which means higher prescription drug costs, higher infl- insulin a, prices, Hello, oh, yeah. which means that it's going to be... Republicans are going to increase your costs at a time when we're dealing with inflation... Democrats have actually been trying to lower your costs. But there's a reason that Democrats aren't running on some of the latest COVID relief that they did because they know it contributed to inflation. So there's over a trillion dollars they could and should be touting, except Americans are sophisticated enough to this to know this actually put but, us into the position. But you have Republicans not actually free. touting not that money. money. Right. right they right. Voted against, Republicans <laughs> voted against it, and now they're in their district saying, like, look what I did Take for you. Check. But if they get power, they will not do this from you. It will come out of your pocket. So I want to know, what what is a one race that you're each looking at? Uh, and we'll start with you, Alyssa. What, what What's a race that you're that you're watching. In, in, I'm, in, uh, I'm intrigued by Ohio. Listen, I think the Senate JD, race in Ohio. The Senate race in Ohio. I think JD Vance is going to pull it off, but I think it's fascinating that Tim Ryan, a Democrat, a consummate moderate, is pulling within the margin of error in what is a deep red state. This is one that Trump didn't even, we didn't put even a lot of effort into Ohio because we knew that Trump was going to win it. But Tim Ryan is running away from Pelosi and he's running away from Biden. He's making it very much focused on issues specific to the state. He is tackling crime, he is talking about the economy. So I think it's kind of a lesson in how to run in a red state as a Mm. Democrat. And again, this is a state that keeps electing Sherrod Brown. So it's not out of the realm of possibility Tim Ryan could pull it off. And I do think voters think J.D. Vance is a bit of a fraud. I mean, my home state, Ohio, so I'm also (laughs) tracking that very closely. (laughs) Sorry I stole that. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I'm looking at Florida, not because I think the Dems— Which— which uh, Both, actually. Governor and Senate. Governor and Senate. Um, Not because I think uh, Chris will be able to— 
pull it out over DeSantis. But I'm looking at the Senate race also because Val Demings Demings versus versus Rubio. Rubio. Because can the candidates build the proper coalition? Republicans have a strong base there. Dems need to be able to get seniors and talking about how Republicans would raise prescription uh, drug prices. Um, Latino voters, which is a huge, it's all about demographic change. So I don't think, I wish the polling doesn't look great for Val Demings, but she's a strong candidate. And how you can win in, in states that are turning red, I think, is a lesson for We need to do the Dems. next two quickly, sorry. Yeah, so, yeah. so I'll just say two quick ones. A Boldick, right, in uh, New Hampshire, obviously, Maggie Hassan race, very big. There's a lot of um, subtext there with Mitch McConnell and Boldick and the Senate Leadership Fund. And then also, again, I'll say don't sleep on Tiffany Smiley, Scott yeah. Tiffany Smiley, personal friends. I think she's run an incredible race. Washington, Washington State against Washington Patty State, Murray. if she wins, it's going to be it's going to be a big blowout for uh, for Republicans. Georgia, Brian Kemp versus Stacey Abrams, the rematch. I've been watching how Brian Kemp has actually been able to avoid the extremism label. He's getting sort of credit for 2020 actually doing his job and not breaking the law for Trump. At the same time, a federal judge just ruled several weeks ago that actually the laws in Georgia do place severe burdens on voters. But the federal judge also said he felt hamstrung by the Supreme Court decision in Brnovich. So whereas they acknowledge that the law, the voting laws in Georgia are restrictive, we just saw actually stories yesterday of people finding problems, black Americans at the polls being challenged at the same time Kemp seems to be getting a pass on All right. record early turnout so far in Georgia, yeah. which is interesting. Yes. Everyone stick around. We've got a lot more, lot more to talk about. Former President Trump has offered to testify many, many times in the past. He's got another chance to make good on it. That's next. Would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of, of 100%. Are you going to talk to Mullen? I'm looking forward to it, actually. Why would do it under oath? Yeah. Mr. President, would you still like to testify the special counsel, Robert Mueller, sir? Thank you. Sure. I, would like you I would love to speak. I would love to go. Nothing I want to do more. I've always wanted to do an interview. He says he wants to do it, and he never does it. Uh, an advice of counsel. Uh, let, let's talk about this with our panel. So on Friday, the January 6th committee officially subpoenaed Donald Trump to testify and produce documents for their investigation, saying he was, quote, at the center of the first and only effort by any U.S. president to overturn an election. So does he testify? Yeah, listen, I can tell you, all those statements that he made, he, he actually wanted to go and, and participate. And I know at the advice of counsel, <laughs> the White House counsel, and everyone working on those uh, impeachments and all, and all those different investigations, basically chained him to the desk, wouldn't let him go. Um, he is not encumbered by those people this time, right? They are not working for him. And so I think there's nothing more that he'd like to do than go to the January 6th committee and testify it'd be the best tv you'd see stay tuned but but i have to say why is it that their lawyers told him not to testify previously because they know he'll say crazy that's why i mean let's be honest like i mean that's the thing in watching that i can imagine being a staffer watching him say i'd love to i'd love to thinking thank god it'll never happen because i mean look at what he's already done earlier this year plead the fifth plead the fifth plead the fifth He's not going to answer questions. Having staffed him through some horrifying interviews, I was there for the Jonathan Swan. Just we all remember that interview around COVID. Um, this would be such a mistake for him to testify, but he would be under oath, presumably. He would he would inevitably perjure himself five ways to Sunday if he were to go under oath. I think he loves the spotlight and the cameras and controlling the narrative and espousing conspiracy theories, but 
any lawyer, even you know, worth their salt, would never put him up for this. But he has different lawyers. Yeah, he does. That's my point. Yeah, that's my point. Maybe not. I think I think he will either confess to something he doesn't realize is an actual crime, or he'll perjure himself. One. You think he's going to testify? One plot twist: if Republicans take the House and do some type of jujitsu on the January sixth committee and give him a platform to say how whatever he wants, however he wants. That actually could work in his favor, which is quite dangerous. But, you know, I do think part of the danger here is that it reminds I mean, it is not good for Republican candidates that between now and the election day, we're going to get story after story after story about Donald Trump. Because the more they have to defend Trump, the less they're able to be on offense on the issues they want to be on. And on that note, this subpoena caps off a pretty extraordinary week for Donald Trump, uh, summed up uh, by The New York Times' Peter Baker in this tweet. Uh, This was uh, his week. He was subpoenaed regarding allegations of insurrection. He was found by a judge to have signed a false statement. That's referring to Georgia. He was deposed on an allegation of rape. That's in the defamation case from Gene Carroll. Bannon, his former top aide, was sentenced to four months in prison for defying a subpoena. Tom Barrack, one of his former top aides uh, and advisors, is on trial. Uh, Lindsey Graham was ordered to testify. And the Trump Organization fraud trial is going to start this week. That's just one week in Trump plan, Alyssa, <laughs> one week. My only message is we don't have to do this again. There are credible Republicans who want to run for president, who will run for president. The notion that the GOP would even humor nominating him again is just absurd at this point. Yep. He, he, I mean, he could very well be indicted. Let's look to some new blood. Right, but remember, the GOP is made up of people, right? It's not this amorphous right. organization that does has, has this, you know, it, it's made of people. People across America, right, who who love Donald Trump, and they're still going to vote. People show up at rallies, right? Yep. And they show up in droves. They we we watch different clips. Though the rally I mean, numbers are dwindling. Yeah, but, but they're still as long as thirty percent of the Republican base loves Donald Trump. You know, in a, in a crowded primary, he will he will emerge the victor. I mean, I guess I just have to say it's not just the people; it's the elected officials also who yes. want him to come stump. So I've said this. Until I'm blue yeah. in the face at this point, but like, where is the leadership? If we want, if you want new blood in your party, you have to tell. But but those people are responsive to those base, right? So so just well, like in your party, you don't lose to somebody, you don't lose to a blue dog Democrat, you lose to a progressive Democrat. Mm-hmm. In the Republican Party, you don't lose to someone who's a moderate, you don't lose to Nancy Mace, you lose to a Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? That's who. You, that's how the parties work. But right? to Alyssa's point, there are now. So if a third of voters are following Trump, I mean, you have plenty of candidates who basically won their primaries because of their allegiance to Trump. Yeah. And that's another argument to make to voters. It is a reminder of the chaos, the drama, the conspiracy theories, the mind bending, you know, yeah. reality. And it's a sense of, is that, do you want that person? Can we move beyond it? Can we move beyond it? Can I I just say, I want you to listen to this truly deranged ad from the Republican (laughs) candidate for Nevada Secretary of State, because this gives you not just an idea of where the base is, because this guy could win, Mm -hmm. but also what the potential future of democracy is. Let's run that ad. George Soros is helping to elect anti-American politicians, and these same politicians keep winning re-election. How is that possible? It's not. Elections have consequences, and rigged elections have catastrophic consequences. Help save America. Vote for Jim Marchand for Secretary of State. It's time to take our elections back. So just to be clear, not only is that ad trafficking, dabbling in anti-Semitism, it's nuts. The idea, Alyssa, and I know you don't support it, but I'm coming to you because you're a former Trump official. The idea that Democrats are only being reelected in solidly blue Democratic districts because George Soros is paying for election fraud, 
is crazy. That guy's the nominee for Secretary of State in Nevada. He's no, the fringe is now mainstream in your party. Well, and this goes to your point that, that that's on the elected officials and not the Donald Trumps, but the many people who benefit from the boost of Trump that won't just call a spade a spade and say the election was not stolen. Right. These lies of fraud and allegations and 2,000 mules are, are absurd. They are beneath us as a country. I put the onus on them, to be honest. I've been saying it from the second Joe Biden yeah. won the election. But not enough people are. They try to dabble. You can't have it both ways. Yeah, but again, right? These people are elected by that base, right? Those are, they're being responsible to the but, but you said thirty percent. Right, what no, no. about the seventy percent right, in the your se- party? Exactly. The they're 70%, no, the they're seventy percent don't make it through because they, they're primaries that have fourteen people, right? Just like right. Mm. Pennsylvania. This is how, yes. right? The governor, the current governor nominee in Pennsylvania. There's a crowded primary, yeah. right? If there were two people, just like but in 24, listen, the, if 24. But that's if, the danger to democracy. Yeah. But that's how, what we're trying it, to well, say. Well, let's change it, it, it to the Republican de- coalition democracy. then. Like it is we democracy. need to, yeah. So, it is democracy. That's how thanks, it works. Thanks, <laughs> thanks one and all for, for, Messy. for the time being. Uh, let's right. uh, let, thanks one and all for being here. And we, we do want to welcome a new member of the CNN family, Dorothea Quinn Cadigan, the daughter of CNN senior producer Will Cadigan and his wife Paige. Mother and daughter are doing great. Will, we're so happy for you. We're so proud of you. Congratulations. She is. Oh, look at that. Look at she is. Look at that little punum. Uh, Coming up, one man's 1,700 mile mission for his brothers in arms. We're going to tell you about that next. A retired U.S. colonel who served in Afghanistan tells me that his unit as of now has lost more soldiers to suicide and to overdoses than they did to Taliban insurgents. And he's trying to do something about it. Hours ago, U.S. Army Colonel Chris Galinda finished a 1,700-mile bike ride across the United States. He visited the grave sites and the grieving families of six members of his unit, all of whom were killed in action in Afghanistan in 2007. Kalinda began in Spalding, Nebraska, where Private First Class Chris Pfeiffer is laid to rest. And then he headed east to honor Sergeant Adrian Hike, Specialist Jacob Lowell, Staff Sergeant Ryan Fritchie, Captain David Boris, and finally, Major Tom Bostic, who's buried at Arlington National Cemetery. I wrote about Kalinda, plus Pfeiffer, Lowell, Fritchie, and Bostic in The Outpost, my book about the dangerous and deadly combat outpost Keating. This ride is about more than just honoring Kalinda's falling soldiers, however, as important as that is. Kalinda is using it to raise awareness and financial support for the countless soldiers living with post-traumatic stress. I want people to know our six fallen heroes as flesh and blood human beings, and not not only as names etched in granite. I want to, I want to, um, yeah. Our eight hundred had my back for fifteen months. A lot of them are struggling. A lot of them are struggling with post traumatic stress. They're struggling to find new belonging. I can't do it alone, so that's why we created the Saber Six Foundation as a way to both honor the dead, honor our fallen, uh, but to support our living. Kalinda has so far raised $75,000 in counting. I have donated. If you can afford to, please visit honorride.us, honorride.us. And, and even if you cannot afford to do so, please have a thought, if you could today, for the families of Pfeiffer, Hike, Lowell, Fritchie, Boris, and Bostic. Those families, they miss their sons and husbands and brothers and daddies very much. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria is next. 
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.